This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, um, podcast number something, uh, nine, I think. Anyway, with me is Chris Rossi in Los Angeles, and I'm in Norway as usual. Hey, Chris. How are you, John? Uh, I'm good. It's um, early morning for you, and it's, it's late afternoon for me. Right. Um, so thanks for doing this. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I wanted to talk a little bit. Um, Chris is a screenwriter, playwright, um, multi-talented Renaissance man, um, and, um, and, a, and a collaborator um, with me on various theater projects, um, and a longtime friend. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Hollywood um, as, before we kind of segue into specific television and, and, and trends in Hollywood and stuff, but just your impressions, I guess, because you, you live there and, and work there more directly. My mm. limited contact with Hollywood these days is very indirect. Right. Um, uh, what, what changes you've seen over the last few years and just various impressions? Cause, yeah. Um, wow. I mean, uh, what a, what a what a big question because uh, th there's a number of things going on right now besides the obvious uh, virus which has slowed down work to nothing pretty much now. Um, I've been lucky, however, because I have you know a couple projects that were kicked into motion before this everything sort of shut down. But you know you also have uh, this issue with uh, the Writers Guild and um, the agencies uh, over packaging fees. So very briefly. Um, uh, right. agents, the big ones, CAA, UTA, and so forth, take a big packaging fee from the studios, Paramount, Universal, and so forth. And uh, that fee that they take, they then will put uh, various writers and into different TV shows and movies and so forth. But they're supposed to negotiate the writer's fees, but that money they're actually drawing from the studio into their packaging fee. So they're supposed to be working for the writer, but in fact, they're sort of cutting into their fees and working against the writers. That's wrong. And that's been going on for decades now. Right. So, you know, every writer's been asked, I think, rightly to fire their agents. Uh, but this has been going on for close to a year now. So that's a, a kind of thrown a wrench into the works. People are still able to work. Um, so anyway, that's over here. Yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully that'll be resolved. But that's, you know, a worker issue. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's become no, it's difficult yeah 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 well i mean i remember i just remember when the 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 agency started consolidating and mm -hmm. and how much that changed the landscape um for people like myself you know right um and and you could kind of see the the handwriting on the wall it was gonna mm -hmm. it was gonna continue to consolidate um but uh yeah. Anything else that, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, that's sort of the, the what's going on, sort of the fucked up business side of it. But, you know, in terms of, you know, we can get into talking about trends and things people are asking for and, you know, we can get into what we see in shows and certain kinds of stories seem to be approved or not approved. And, you know, I don't know, man, it's a, it's a big guessing game. <laughs> I've, I've pitched shows. I've, uh, you know, we've all gone into meetings and things. There's things that these network executives and studio execs say that they want. 
Do they really want that? There's something called the network grid that's sent out once or twice a year, all the networks, CBS, FX, and so forth. Oh, I remember. Say what they're, yeah, they'll say what they're looking for, but they won't, the agencies won't really share it with writers, which so sort of this sort of secret thing, but they'll say things like, you know, we're looking for, you know, female-driven medical dramas, but we're <laughs> leaning away from sci-fi and we're looking for, you know, character-centered zombie drama, you know. But how do you, you know, but that's not really true. So there's, you know, yeah, there's, that's right. That's the problem, right? Yeah. And there's uh, people whose jobs are supposed to exactly just make sort of make up shit or. Yeah. You know. well, I remember when that happened, some, you know, my agent would say, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, no sci-fi at CBS. They don't want, you know, they got burned and, and they've had a couple of canceled ending. No sci-fi, go for female-driven dramas and, you know, contemporary settings, blue sky, do mm. it like that. Okay. Right. And then you come in and then a week later, three weeks later, uh, CBS has just signed a deal for a massive sci-fi drama prime time. Right, right. And you say, what the what, fuck what were you, you thinking talking of? to me about? Right, right. right. And, and there's, yeah, it's crazy. just they don't know. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They don't and the show. Yeah, it's not. And the shows that end up kind of breaking through are nothing anybody asked for. You know, whatever you think of Fleabag, Phoebe Waller Bridge, it was a, a play that she wrote for herself. And then it sort of broke through and it became this huge hit. And then you get outliers like Nick Pizzolatto's True Detective. Nobody was asking for that, but he was, you know, his shows are quite, his stuff is quite good. And he, you know, and everybody wants something like that. So it's, you know, William Goldman's Nobody Knows Anything holds, still holds sway. I think. Right, right. Right. Well, the current one, I guess we could, I mean, the current show that, um, that I guess is being spoken of as breaking the mall. I mean, a couple of years ago it was Mr. Robot. Everybody said, you know, well, Mr. Robot. And, and that was interesting for, you know, 10 minutes. Mm. Um, and now it's devs, which I think the final episode right. is, is right. this week, this, this limited series for Alex Garland. And he's a Brit who did the beach a while back and he's he's very i mean he's not a, at all a bad writer i mean the mm. beach as a as a pulp novel is quite good actually um and and devs is is really compelling and mm. strange i'm going to be curious what where it ends up exactly. right, right 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 um but it's inching i also notice i mean this is a limited series, whatever it is eight episodes and this yeah. is something this is a, a tendency i see in hollywood film and tv is you know, Devs has this terrific premise, um, as hard to define as that premise might be, and very interesting characters and good actors. And yet, as the season moves on, you find each episode inching a little closer to music video. Mm. Um, there's more and more kind of empty space. Mm. Um, and, and it looks great you know, and maybe it's just a sort of intoxication with, with the look of it. Um, and it, it would be an interesting, it would be interesting to compare to the French series Odd Vitam, um, which was a much lower budgeted series mm. and uh, featured no CGI whatsoever. I mean, it was very interesting, mm. at least that I was aware of. I'm sure there's probably something. Um, and it was a very strange interior conversational as the French can be sometimes. Um, I mean, even French porn is conversational. That's always amazing. <laughs> they do more talking and fucking in French porn. Well, but anyway, 
I'm digressing. Um, and but Ad Vitam is very smart, very smart, huh. sharp show, and and perfectly my mind kind of perfectly realized sci-fi. And it's interesting because they shot it in Spain at at Benidorm <laughs> or some odd city, which I've been to. And they picked it. The producer, I read an interview, and the producer said, "Yeah, we picked it because it looks so weird." And it's true. It's mm -hmm. a, it's one of those cities that cropped up on the Spanish coast there that that um, is a weird mixture of you know t-shirt stores and and right, right. 18th century you know Moorish architecture and stuff. Anyway, but it will. That's a very interesting comparison because I don't know what the budget is for devs, but I'm guessing it's it's substantial enough. Right, I'm sure um, it's big. Well, that's yeah. an interesting point about the visuals. That's more, you know, I, I suppose as TV, uh, you know, in, in people stop going to the movies and TV, people get larger and larger TVs and TV inches yeah. closer to cinematic. F shows are built that way. And I've, I've, you know, I've talked with execs who, you know, they're, they're looking for provocative images. You know, it's almost like there's the text, but the show is a series of provocative images. That's one way to attract a director to put a show together. But you notice that in certainly in devs and, and you know, been watching Better Call Saul, there's a visual puzzle. It's where are we right now? And then it cuts to, right. you know, a, a tire and then it cuts to someone being choked to death. And then, you know, right. it may take place later in this show or something, but it's very much leaning on that visual thing that, that you're right, can be empty after a while. Well, Better Call Saul is an interesting example because, I mean, in many, many, many ways, almost in all ways, it's a better show than Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. um, I think. Anyway, and, and, but it, that, that team that created those two shows decided upon a, a visual signature, you know, and, and you're right, that was, that became the familiar hook almost more than plot or story, which often in Better Call Saul is, is barely comprehensible. Um, right. But you don't care because there's going to be the scorpion and there's going to be the close-up of the cactus, you know, and this, mm -hmm. this hyper deep focus on, you know, dripping water and, and blood dripping behind it or something, whatever it is. Right. And it, it becomes, I think people have, have learned to watch television um, shows for the the visual signatures and cues much more than than for the narrative. I mean, narrative yeah. has, yeah, kind of evaporated. It seems right, right. It's 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 about you know pattern recognition, and you know we can talk about certainly the Dick Wolf shows and you know the yeah. Law and Order things like that, which are literally just the familiar. You know, that old joke, you can take, you know, the, 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 the first, the second act of one law and order and put it with next to the first act of another would still completely make sense. It's, yeah. you know, and there's that, that's the junk, that sound cue. So it's, it's almost a Pavlovian kind of like, oh, here we are. And, and then all the attendant, you know, authority works and, you know, let's, right, right. we're all well, well taken That's an interesting, without, without digressing too far into Dick Wolf, because I really don't want to do that. But, <laughs> right. but I have a grudging admiration for Dick Wolf. Right. Because the formula is absolute. You look at Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, Chicago Med. I mean, he's cornering yep. the market on Chicago, right? And, um, but other things, FBI, and then FBI Most Wanted, which right. is the same show. It's the same you know, show. It's yeah. the same show. Right. I mean, why bother calling it something else? Right. And, um, and, but, but 
those shows for what they are, these completely fascistic, knee-jerk, like you say, Pavlovian um, triggers that then there's a moral at the end. But Wolf's team, that, that you know, the Dick Wolf franchise, they're extraordinarily effective when you compare them to others. Oh, yeah. You can't, it's almost like you can't deny it in a weird kind of right, right, you know, yeah, I right. find myself I, I you know because I watch everything sure it's sure really yeah cool and stuff Me but too. you know I watch Chicago PD and I find myself tearing up at the end I go what is wrong with you you know you really need treatment now stuff like um but because it pushes all those buttons right and it, right you know, it pushes them incredibly effectively um and and everything is tight and makes a certain kind of Dick Wolfian sense in his universe. Right, right. Which, you know, doesn't bear much resemblance to reality at all. <laughs> right. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's so elaborate and so expansive now, and audiences know um, the Dick Wolf universe, and they tune in to yep. visit the Dick Wolf universe, you know, right, right, and, right. and, but you see other shows like, I don't know. I mean, I you try to think of the million different. NCIS, you know, yeah. Los yeah, Angeles, New Orleans, New York. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's just bizarre. And they're all identical. Right. Um, but I wanted to go back. I wanted to talk a little bit because I, the, the Wolf thing is interesting to me because he's better at it than anybody else and i and i give him you know yeah. this you know this props he, they he <laughs> right. knows what buttons to push when and and right. it's undeniable yeah. but um to go back to the prestige like when we talk about hbo mm. showtime and all of this stuff what what has happened there because um it seemed to me that maybe one of the one of the thresholds or, or fulcrum shows that 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 changed the map a little, and it's interesting to examine why maybe um, is the leftovers, because mm. here's a it's based on a book I guess um, of sorts, right, or a series of books I'm not sure, and and um, what's his name Peter Berg. I think is the the producer or, or, or director of most of it. Mimi Leader directed a lot, and full yeah. disclosure, Mimi Leader was in my high school class. Ah, wow! You know, I think it's uh, Damon Lindelof yeah. who did did Lost. I think he's the. Oh, runner. okay, right. And this is a show. That, I mean, and this is one of those. Speaking of trends, I mean, there is this creeping Christian subtext to a lot mm. of shows now, and if mm. it's not creeping Christian, um, it's, we're, it's the supernatural. And they're like interchangeable, you right. know? Um, and sometimes there's both like that show Evil that's on now. Mm -hmm. um, supernatural, but also heavy kind of, um, you know, the Catholicism of, of you know, um, the those Tom Hanks films, um, you know. Right, that, right. It's, it's, it's this kitsch Roman Catholic thing and you know, and yet it's always ghosts and demons and Satan. As well. But <laughs> right. the leftovers was like um, this whole sort of Pentecostal revival, televangelist, right wing mm. Christianity, hidden 
in the cloak of a prestige. Um, t- was that HBO? Yeah, that was HBO. Yeah. Right, right. In a, in HBO show, um, and and uh, and I admit that I found it oddly compelling and confusing. I just in spite of my, this wasn't that, I mean, I didn't look forward to seeing it because I right. kind of actively disliked it, but I thought I have to know where this goes. Yeah. Um, because I want to understand what, what kind of storytelling this is exactly. What, are, mm. what, you know, what is the interpretation? How do we interpret that show? You know, and I, to yeah. this day, the only thing I can say, and then I want to hear your thought yeah. on it is, is, the end of the show had the pivotal scene that I've heard about a thousand people talk about was borrowed from Wizard of Oz. Mm. Um, the what's her name, the actor, lead actress, who's actually pretty good in an irritating sort of way, um, pedaling on the bicycle. Right. And, and it was shot exactly like Wizard of Oz, bicycle, and so forth. Um, but I, at the end of it, I thought, I'm not sure if there are secret dog whistle messages in mm, this that like, yeah. Christians get or what. I don't, don't know, because it was a very curious project to have been so popular. Right. Yeah. I, you know, talking about where the show is going, it felt like in the first season, The Leftovers didn't know where it was going. It, it, you know, I didn't read the book, but I guess the book covered the first couple episodes and it took a while to find itself, if I remember. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, the Christian messages, to me, it felt there was some of that and just sort of vague, quasi-spiritual, everything sort of thrown in the mix, which seemed perfect for an, a, 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 a sort of a prestige audience that samples a bit this and everything that maybe started out in a Christian or Catholic family, but it's a little Buddhist and there's maybe <laughs> a little reincarnation. There's a, so... But, you know, I don't know that it ever really, you know, what is it ultimately about? I kept watching it too and was irritated. There were certain tropes in it. You know, again, there were certain visual puzzles, but there were these music cues. Here is, you know, a Radiohead song played on a piano and here's, you know, a Pixie song. Play. I kept seeing it over and over again and it and, and started to feel redundant. But yet, you're right, I kept watching. I think hate watching might be the term for that. Yeah, um, that's good. Hate watching. You know, what, why? And you can't, you, you're just compelled to keep watching. So ultimately, what, what was it about? You know, as I sit with what I'm left with, I, I don't know. There's nothing solid. I don't know if there's anything. No, hate- and uh, the thing was, when it finally got to the end, the last sort of three episodes, um, and it felt like, in, and this is the same issue that came up with with the outsider recently right 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 uh they they had to confront all the hints at the supernatural all the breadcrumbs Mm. that they had been dropping leading to some sort of supernatural reveal and then it was this really inexplicable, you know, she traveled through a, you know, a wormhole to the other side of something. And the fuck is this? But it was done in this arch serious manner. And that actress is, um, I mean, I can see her as why she's popular, you know, Mm. with, with a certain kind of like overeducated, um, 30 ish white female. They love her. Um, it, uh, it was very serious and, and if anything at the end there was some kind of vague it shifted gears downshifted 
to being a commentary on relationships like oh relationships are hard when you know right. you travel right. through wormholes it of makes course they are yeah. really hard yeah. yeah and that and that was about it it was it became a set of of cues of signposts pointing to where you know you could guess a story once existed or something mm-hmm. Um, and that was about it. And yet it was a hugely successful show. Now, um, the other show I wanted to mention, and then, I mean, please jump in and interrupt me, but yeah. is The Affair, because this mm-hmm. is a show that pissed me off more than any show in like right. maybe ever. Right. Um, number one, it was borrowed heavily from a Dutch show. I didn't realize this till I tripped across the Dutch show, mm. the title of which is Dutch, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Um, which was a much better show, in fact, was a, a soap, essentially, you know, a melodrama. But um, it, it had a lot more kind of interesting actors and stuff. Um, even though I like the actors in the affair normally. Right. Right. Um, but right. that was catered, it seemed like that was a show. First of all, how it got made would be an interesting question hmm. because this woman had no, no reason to suddenly. Um, be getting um, all the writing credits on a, on a you know HBO series that now is in whatever season. I mean, it just keeps going on. Um, and it was a melodrama, a soap in a way, right. much like Big Little Lies is, you know, is what HBO does some of the time. Um, but, but the affair was, first of all, you know, appalling in it, the writing was bad terrible um the direction was bad and and it was just this kind of pandering to the a certain class audience you know Mm -hmm. it was about people who can afford nice real estate in new york and stuff um and houses in the hamptons and um that seemed to be the the general thrust of the show was was class congratulation or something because i couldn't think of anything else to make Mm -hmm. of it um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, but you know, as I say, feel free to jump. Yeah, in. I mean, you know, if the writing is bad, I'm out. Like in the affair, I bailed after uh, I think the first or second season. When you can guess the line coming out of the actor's mouth, then you know, <laughs> over. You know, yeah. I left, and yeah. I couldn't help but think about you. You know, I played that game with my wife. It's it's over. So there's no, um, yes, there's that kind of self congratulating vibe that it has privileged people in their lives and it sort of flatters the audience but if the if the writing if line by line if the writing's terrible there you know there's nothing you can do about it um and it feels self-conscious and you know i'm going to go back to what you said about because very interesting why better call saul is better than breaking bad Um, yeah you know breaking bad became sort of self-conscious it bought into its fandom or something it it was self-congratulatory there's none of that kind of faux seriousness with with Better Call Saul. It's just there, there's there's it's just an interesting why that show is better. Yeah, well, it's like it's fascinating. It is, and and in a sense, Breaking Bad was a, just a traditional um, crime story with you know a couple of hooks being you know Walter White. Right. Right. Um, as you know, a meth cooker, and oh, how far out that would be! But he'd do it better than the you know right. Mexicans anyway, because he's Walter White, 
Right. And, um, and, but that's essentially what it was. And it, there were, there were only these few elements that number one, I think they got a lot of mileage out of setting it in New Mexico. Oh yeah. It was a really unfamiliar image to people and it looked great. They photographed it great. And so everybody kind of bought into that. Um, but it was essentially a, a conventional crime story, acutely racist, you know, um, through and through, and mm. and um, and misogynist. And he had this wife that wouldn't let him have fun as a meth cook, you know, and um, <laughs> on and on. That's the worst. And, and yeah, I hate I hate when women do that. I just um, find when it let me let me be me. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, but Better Call Saul. Um, is a genuinely kind of postmodern show, and I hate saying that, but yeah, yeah. Um, but it is. It's ostensibly a prequel, except it's not, um, mm -hmm. I except in the most kind of you know oblique fashion. Is it a prequel? Um, but it's but it's postmodern in the sense that it's not a conventional crime show. It's not a conventional lawyer show. God knows. <clears throat> it's not about relationships or anything. It's not a soap opera. I'm not sure what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and that is what's interesting about it. You know, right. um, it doesn't always work. All the stuff with the sick brother last season was actually kind of terrible at a certain point. Mm -hmm. um, the hypochondriac brother. I'm um, glad that's over. Season, yeah. yeah, this season is, seems a lot more interesting, actually. And they get terrific actors. I mean, they're very oh, yeah. smart about so casting. Good. So good. Um, like you said, the guy I met when we were talking the other day, Salamanca, Lalo Salamanca. Right. Um, Tony Walton. Terrific. An actor. Yeah. So good. Yeah. He's really good. And my old friend, Mark Margolis is, is the old man. Right. Um, <clears throat> who I've done a couple of things with in theater is a wonderful actor. I mean, and those people bring, you put Mark Margolis in the frame and it improves the show you know absolutely I mean, he, just has, he has that level of um of presence or something right right so yeah but it's but it is it is one of the few shows that that um kind of does defy definition in that sense now you know the other thing i guess with all of this is you know you and i once talked about we were writing back and forth emails yeah. about guilty pleasures yeah yeah and and that's what this is because on some level i kind of loathe virtually everything that comes out of hollywood i have to suspend a <laughs> right. lot right. to enjoy certain things you right. know and um uh there's a current canadian show cardinal which probably very few americans have seen it's not right. it's a low budget noir thing with with Billy Campbell and I started watching it because I because I'm kind of a closet Billy Campbell fan <laughs> and um and and I really like the French Canadian actress they have and it's low budget simple it's one of the more interior crime shows you're <laughs> ever gonna see um it's just people talking and it's amazing to me that it's in season four now because it's very short on on you know car chases or anything right, right. none of that it, and it's shot in this absolutely frozen landscape of of um you know uh, northern canada and and that gives it a certain i mean maybe i identify here in norway i'm not sure but <laughs> but um but i but it's still 
a pro-cop, you know, fantasy about the nobility of the police and the, mm -hmm. you know, the inherent criminality of the underclass, and and that's and that's pretty much what it is. It it mitigates it more than a lot of shows might, but but it it has stellar acting and um, is intelligently written. And I sometimes am just happy, as you mentioned earlier, line by right. line. If I can listen to really good writing line by line, um, I'm placated most of the time. It goes a long way. It goes a long way. So this is, so this is interesting. The, the shows that we've talked about, Better Call Saul, um, the Dick Wolf shows, if, if I were to step back and look at these characters, certainly in American TV, they seem, this is a little reductive, but it, they're almost divided into two camps. There's the character that sort of represents the institution, right? The character that is his job. These are all the cops right. and CIA, CIA agents, Dick Wolf, most everything Kiefer Sutherland plays, right? Um, yep. Yep. And they're, they're narratives about how society and authority work. And then they're the, there's the character that isn't under institutional control. He or she is like a rogue. We love him for that. It's, de it's serial killers like Dexter or, you know, Penn Badgley and you or James Spader in Blacklist. And it's sort of these two poles. And, but then- That's really interesting. Yeah, the rogue character, the, you know, the establishment's always trying to get them to work for them. Like, you know, James Spader's being folded into because he's such an amazing asset. And it's just, it just really seems to be defined in these two camps. I don't know that's, why. Yeah, you know? no, but that's really interesting. And <clears throat> I mean, the similarities between you and Dexter are pretty pronounced, I yes. would say. Yes, yes. Um, and and yet they're both incredibly effective shows, you know, partly because the lead actor can kind of carry it and, and Spader in Blacklist. I mean, Spader right. in Blacklist is terrific. Absolutely. You know, Instantly that, watchable, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I watch it and goof on him and it's I, such a great character. Yeah. Um, and they've made a few missteps and you could feel them walk the missteps back mm. in, in the Spader character. Right. Um, because you could almost feel they recognize that, like, this is the engine for the show. Nothing else matters. Right. Um, and, and um, but, you know, but it's, you know, there, there are these curious things. I mean, in Blacklist, the Spader character has his black sidekick, you know. Right, right. Um, uh, who never speaks. He's Tonto. <laughs> and, um, you know, and yet you kind of love that that character i mean right. he's also a wonderful character a terrific actor um but it's you know so yeah i think you're right and i can't quite explain it but but you and dexter the the psychopath yes. as um, as lead character is a really interesting well you know um, you topic you, you is an is a kind of a really interesting special case because this you know it, Dexter wasn't really a heartthrob the way that this you character is. And he's, he right. looks a little like Ted Bundy's younger brother, perhaps, Penn Badgley. <laughs> and he, he's quite good. He's very, I think he's quite a good actor. But, you know, how did the, you know, he murders women and he's, you know, <clears throat> the hero yeah. of the show. And he's, you know, his last name is Bettelheim. That's interesting. Um, he's very <laughs> literate. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't hate himself. He kind of hates everybody else. The second season, he gets to L.A. and he, he can't wait to leave. Um, he's self-aware. I don't know. He's, he's got a lot going right. for him. No, well, but that's interesting. That's really interesting. 
interesting. Yeah. I mean, two things occurred to me because I found you a really effective show and, and I binged right through it. I, you know, it was imminently watchable. <clears throat> it also contained the black, um, the glass box. Yes. Prison, yes. you know, recurring image in all of this, which the blacklist has too, oddly. Um, but it was, it expressed two things that apparently um, the audience, an American audience, again, educated bourgeoisie, um, are not only okay with, but actively embrace. One is mm. overt misogyny. Right. I mean, there's the women he murders, you know, they set it up so the audience wants to murder them too, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, they're stupid, they're trivial, they're superficial, and lip service is paid to, oh, how terrible, and they get killed, but you know the audience is going, right, and bitch deserved it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, he's literate and, and kind of debonair and charming and self-controlled, and um, that expresses the second thing, which is a kind of that literacy and an interest in rare books, my mm. God, he's a rare book dealer who reads Dickens and, and, you know, I don't know, you know, it was all kinds of surprising literary right. illusions mm. in that shit. Um, <clears throat> but there's that hostility. Those people, if you like poetry, rare books, Dickens, um, <laughs> right, you know, right, right. Uh, you're a psychopath. You must be a psychopath. Right. Uh, that's the that's the that's the equation. I mean, you can always look at at psychoanalysts um, are always are always suspect, are always malevolent <laughs> somehow. There's right, no right. ever heroic analysts in Hollywood. Right. Um, and you know, so it, 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 that's it's it's odd. It's odd, but it's not too hard to to tweeze out the. You know, somebody was talking the other day about Tarantino's misogyny, you know, mm -hmm. and, well, and yeah. Was, yeah, I mean, it's so overt and it's so kind of clumsy and stupid at this point. Um, but he's wildly popular and you, you know, has been incredibly popular so far. Um, Dexter was a curious case um, because the lead guy was offset by his real life wife, um, mm -hmm. who was like, the one A lead in it, um, and and it was they were. I I remember watching that show, not understanding why it was popular. To be mm -hmm. honest, other than it was a blue sky psychopath, you know, um, right, it was right. Miami Beach, and and you know that goes a long ways. So, but back to those kind of that that people are pattern recognition and mm -hmm. reading style cues. Look at you know they redo Magnum. You know, the, one of the original right. Blue Sky detective um, romps. Uh, and it's a dreadful show, but it, it has been <laughs> renewed a couple of times now already. Right. Because all you have to, it reminds people of, I don't know, nicer times yeah, when yeah. we cheered on like I don't know. Well, they're you know. they're remaking you know thirty something, and they're you know they just keep remaking stuff that you know have an audience recall back this simpler time when they were younger or something, and it's all you know you know palliatives. So yeah, I'm yeah, not a fan. Well, I think you know probably probably that stuff started um, 
um, with with uh, Joss Whedon and that whole mm-hmm. generation of guys that came up. I know Molly Klein has a really great take on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ah, yeah. And that it was a very pivotal um, franchise. And and I think she's probably right. But um, yeah, there's it's 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 very curious. I mean, you can look at the most popular shows of the last thirty years, West Wing. Right. Um, you know, um, people. I think people believe part of why they hate Trump is he he's no fun in the West Wing. Mm-hmm. You know, we need we need to have Obama back because. <laughs> right. He could have walked into that set right. and everybody would have been fine with it. Um, that that people dream in in m- movie reels now, I think, is pretty much true. Well, that unconscious yeah. is somehow muddled with you know absolutely stuff. Um, you know, but, an interesting but, yeah. I, I mean, an, yeah, one thing. Ahead. One other thing I want to say, you know talking about you know what, what you said, Molly Klein said about Buffy, and there's these certain sort of er shows which set a template for other things and there's a pretty good book called i think it's called the revolution will be televised by a critic I, i'm not sure if it's alan seppenwall but he he posits that you know hbo had that show oz do you remember set in prison and hardly yeah. hardly anybody watched it but it became from that show are all these actors that went on like uh edie falco was a prison guard um right a bunch of other people and it's yeah, J.K. Simmons. Nobody really watched it, but in terms of sort of button pushing and things like that, you can sort of trace that as sort of a Rosetta Stone of all these other shows. And it made That's me want to come back yeah. and it's shooting style and so forth. So I don't know if I find that fascinating. But well, I think yeah. I mean, this is this is the thing I saw recently that um, because Ray Donovan is an interesting. Thing. And right. I saw recently that it was canceled yes. and there was a big to do. And I don't know if that's been changed or not, um, but I found it a little surprising um, because that was on its way to becoming a kind of er show, I think. Hmm. Right. Um, it, it was uh, set LA, New York again. Mm-hmm. Um, the underclass is so brutish and depraved, but we love them anyway you know in the proper context and you got to slum through terrific real estate and great cars and um you know yes. there was a requisite amount of sex and interesting okay. guest stars um and and but it was a but it was an interesting whole like network of cliches about the working class right also, this fetish with Boston. What is it with Hollywood? I don't know, and man. I don't this know. Thing with Boston. Ben I Affleck. Don't know yeah, yeah. What is it? I mean, it used to be Chicago. It sort of still is, but I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I. You know, it's fine, but why? Boston Irish. Um, yeah. Wahlberg had a pilot the other day, which was a remake again of Spencer for Hire. Sure. Um, you know, and I mean, I cut him a tiny bit of slack because he's from South Boston, but right, right, but um, but only a tiny bit. Um, because such a reactionary fuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the these there's very few shows that um, I mean, we could talk about British shows for a second yeah. too. 
because um, there's very few American shows that are that are not finely um, so um, reactionary that that you run into a wall no matter how desperately you want to zone out. You know? mm-hmm. No, no, no. If you want something, it becomes you know it becomes really difficult. Um, and and British shows are kind of divided into either stuff the BBC commissions, which right. would invariably be pro-Israeli and sort of espionage or something with an Israeli story. I mean, it's just kind of naked at this point. Yeah. Um, and then you have stuff commissioned by, you know, whatever Channel 4 or you know, Sky 1 or whoever it is right. to um, British authors who are often playwrights or people like the Williams brothers. Um, mm-hmm. I know you and I both admire a lot and yep. the first season of um the missing the one with james nesbitt so good um, yeah yeah so good one of the best things in the last 20 years probably Easily. on television um and it introduced this character that's <laughs> great. a whole phenomenon that i can't believe anybody saw that coming to be honest right 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 um, um baptiste He's great. And, uh, uh, you know, who I fell in love with, too. I yeah, this is yeah. character is, is the delivery system for all kinds of things that I guess the Williams or whoever want, yeah. want to talk about. And it, the dialogue bordered on just out, like profound. At right, times. right. I remember in the first season, you have this gimpy Frenchman who's actually half Turkish. Right. right, um, right. In his 60s, um, and he's explaining to somebody, yeah. Well, yeah, I take care of bees now. I'm a bee. Yeah, I know, I know. It began, it began as a hobby, and then he pauses. He goes, but now perhaps it is something more. Yes, yeah, And they left yeah. it at that. Yeah. And I always, I thought that's so great. Yeah. You know, it defined the character. It defined his perspective on the murders. It defined yeah. everything. It's beautiful. Um, I love, yeah, he, he'll say, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, he's walking with the limp and he'll, he'll say, you know, I am not the man I used to be, you know, and I yes. just, <laughs> he's got me, you know, right? It, yeah, yeah. Beautiful character, yeah. No, it's a wonderful character. And, and, and Nesbitt was just splendid. Right. And, you know, the, um, the other thing the Brits do right is you'll, they, you know, the series tend to be a little shorter. It's four episodes or, you know, eight episodes in the series. There won't be any. You'll see in a lot of American shows, uh, certainly The Outsider and other things, there's, there's, two or, there's one or two episodes that are just a complete filler because they have to do yeah. 10 episodes or 13. Um, do you remember David Hare did a show that with Carrie Mulligan? It was like four episodes. What the hell was that? Oh, it was, yeah. It was really good, you know, just four it episodes. Terrific. It's done. Yeah. Tight, what contained, great writing. Yeah. Um, terrific writing noticeably yeah. you know it was one word yeah yeah um god what was that called um and i remember tuning it in originally because i like carrie mulligan i thought oh, yes. i have a crush on her so i'm gonna, right, right. I'm gonna watch this and then i thought david Hare. right um yeah it, it was um it was really very good and you know the shows like the americans we can talk about the americans yeah um, was a, a slight deviation from the t- template in the right. U.S. It's a, it's a fascist show. I mean, it's written by a CIA, ex-CIA right, right. guy, interestingly. Right. But 
but there's enough mitigating stuff in there that, and again, great acting. Um, and it's a melodrama essentially, but of, of a very intelligent sort. And I found something strangely poignant in the, the arc for the, the male, you know, um, spy, um, right. You know, Matthew he, Reese. He wanted to become a travel agent, you know, and the pathos of <laughs> that choice at that time, you know, and then he just goes belly up with the whole thing. That's his introduction to capitalism. Right. Um, right. Was I found extraordinarily touching actually. Um, but, well, that's a great question. What, was, what is it? That, what is it that makes a show good, and what makes another show pedestrian? I, you know, I think it, a show has to be about more than the psychology and emotions of the characters. It's got to be about something larger. And I, moments like that that you point out um, in uh, in Americans and you know Baptiste lines in The Missing. Right. Um, uh, the David Hare show is called Collateral, by the way. Collateral. That, yeah. that has it too. You know, so it's you know. It, is the show about anything other than itself is always sort of a question I'm asking when I watch. Right. No, and that's true. Yeah. Moments like that in the American certainly point to that. Well, and, and an awful lot of stuff that, um, you know, big little lies is, is yeah, an example. Right. right. You know, um, because this is a show that arguably is not about anything. Right. Um, it's, it's about that, real. It's about real estate and beautiful homes. It's about real estate. Aspiration real estate. Real estate porn. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it is, and and it's kind of it is a kind of tour of people's daydreams. You know, aspirational daydreams. I think mm. that was the hook in a sense, because a lot of show, I mean, I know that I will stick with certain shows if. They're shot in places I'm interested in seeing. Sure. No, yeah. Um, and I'll go, oh, anything okay, the, I'm going to get to... Anything in the desert, yeah, I'm in, right? Yeah, yeah Any, right. Anything in the desert, um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, if it's, if, if it's, you know, a strange island off the coast of Africa and they actually went on location, right. I'll watch it. I don't care right. what else, right. you right. know. Um, right. it, so it's, it's, um, it's interesting, but, but there is a prevailing sense of... Um, of this pattern recognition, this this kind of destruction of of narrative, Big Little Lies season two. I mean, you could really unpack that <laughs> episode by episode. Yeah, of, Un unwatchable, close to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was unwatchable, and yeah. I think, to be honest, I'm not sure I watched all of it. I jumped to the last episode just to see where it ended. Right. Um, in spite of the fact my friend Martin Donovan was in it, oh, um, yeah. you know, being asked to do virtually nothing, right? Um, no, which, great. You know, was a, a shame. But but, um, you know, if you could unpack it down to just it was it was the an exercise in how empty you can actually make something, um, and then stick in, um, you know, a. a a showy performance for Meryl Streep to do her shtick. God, I hate watching her. I can't watch her. Um, it's but she like, used to be good. Right? I mean, wasn't there? A, wasn't there a time? I mean, there's certain. This is another conversation. But there's certain actors that you know. You look back at early performances of her in the whatever the Chimino movie was, Pacino, 
you know, Panic in Needle Park, Dustin Hoffman. What, that's another podcast. But what happens to actors that sort of get to like, corrupted or they start overacting or, you know, I don't know. Well, no, but that's, but that's you know, in, in this one, it's like Streep clearly is being catered to her performance is her performance. That's not right. the director's. Right. Places. I mean, that's her right, performance. Right. It's not the writer's. It's her right. performance. Right. And they have all this power and they get to be kind of showy. Yeah. And you and I read nothing but rave reviews about it. Um, again, this kind of, it's like Hollywood can't escape um, the racism that, that, you know, the magic Negro, the mother comes in and has mm -hmm. visions and passes out and they sit. At, I mean, that, my God, you know. Um, no, but I, let's touch on the actor thing because we don't have a, you know, we can yeah. talk a little more, but, um, but, but I think because I've thought about that before, um, what, what happens to guy, I mean, De Niro is the obvious case. I think mm -hmm. in the case of De Niro, everybody just misunderstood him, what he did in Taxi Driver, um, and, and thought it was genius acting and it, and it wasn't it was something else it was a fortuitous like brian cranston in breaking bad mm. um you know the stars aligned and it was something he could do a little i mean i find cranston just awful I oh mean, cranston the yeah, acting yeah. teacher in me you know and I, he, but anyway <laughs> um uh and and then de niro you know, never for i mean each subsequent movie is just another step in the disappointment that people have watching him somehow. Pacino right. just became, I, it took him way too long to play his own age, I think, hmm. was one of the right, right. But I would still rather watch Pacino than a lot of people. Um, and, and um, you know, if you go back and, you know, his early work was remarkably good. Um, right. In Serpic, He's just absolutely stellar. I mean, again, you, there are not a lot of American actors that, that can do that, that can be interior in that way. And, um, but, but I don't know. I don't know. The camera uses, you know, uses people up and, and they can no longer, um, they can no longer actually um, do this thing and play a character. But it raises questions about what we mean by acting. Right. Mm -hmm. um, like, what is that? And and um, I sense this happening with Richard Wright, um, with the you know with Westworld. Mm. You know, I want to write his agent. They, oh, Je Jeffrey Wright, right, 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 Jeffrey right. Wright. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, it's a paycheck. Um, don't yeah, let no, him. He's, yeah, yeah. Because it's now it's becoming a caricature. Not you know. He was remarkable in, in Boardwalk Empire. You know, you can Great watch yeah. him and, and he's, he's riveting. Um, and then in this, it's because the show is, a, is so bad, so idiotic. Yeah, um, I, I and this, bailed on it. I could. This raises that whole thing. I mean, this is another exercise in the infantile. Westworld is... Um, has all the things I hate in one package, you know. It's infantile. <laughs> it's like it's like subcomic book. It's heavily reliant on CGI, so everything right. looks CGI. Um, it has it has no rules to the world that it creates. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and that's a very kind of popular problem I'm noticing. Right. And then, and then, you know, they have, speaking of Breaking Bad, Aaron Paul has a part in the current, and I only could watch half of one episode, I think, to be honest, mm-hmm. of the second season, because I hated the first season. Right. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, Aaron Paul, this is another guy who found the right role at the right time in Breaking right. Bad and he could do this thing and call everybody bitch and people thought, well, this guy, kid's really great. <laughs> right, right. And, um, and in fact, he's, he's absolutely dreadful. I mean, he's physically one of the least graceful actors I've ever watched. Yeah. A little over the top, yeah. And, and just, yeah, it's unfortunate. And you but, know, the, the, yeah. to, your, to your point about the, you know, the camera and actors getting used up, I mean, then, then there's some that, you know, Helen Mirren is somehow always on point in almost everything. You know, she's just, you know, I'll, I'll pose her against uh, uh, Meryl Streep. And even John Voight is great in, in you know, Fuck, his I politics. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. his ideological scum that Voight is, a right winger. He is incredible in Ray yeah. Donovan, actually. Pretty wonderful. Because um, the guy's in his 70s and... And that's a really physical performance. Mm-hmm. Um, sustains and and is is surprising in it. But that show, Ray Donovan is interesting. You know, leave leave Schreiber aside. Um, you've got Eddie Marsden, who's great, right? Who's remarkable? Who's moving no matter what he does. Um, and you have Voight. And uh, pretty much they managed to, to salvage a good deal of, of what is problematic in that show. I don't know, man. It's, it's um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's hard it's to find anything that's actually any good. It's also hard to find anything um, that's not hugely reactionary. But I just, last, last topic here quickly, yeah, yeah. Um, because we're, we're kind of talking guilty pleasures and stuff. But the other thing is, yeah. because I think your point about pattern recognition is right, really right. And that there are these style cues and that people, the audience in general, which is when we, when we say audience in quotation marks, it's kind of like, you know, an affluent educated audience for the most part in the US white educated affluent and they watch these prestige shows and and um uh and yet these are people that that have suffered um a cognitive decline in some way in the ability Mm. to process story i think um and and you know there's a jillion reasons and so many of these podcasts have talked about that the the rise of mfa programs the Mm. the bureaucratization of art the you know uh the the way in which working class voices have been removed from from um the entertainment industry almost entirely Mm -hmm. uh and and so you have a certain class writing for each other um, as they imagine, like like Ray Donovan, it's a b- bunch of very aft, um, overeducated white people imagining what the Boston underworld right. Right. would look like. And um, the only thing they can come up with is, well, Boston, they're Catholic, mm-hmm. they're Irish, so we'll have a child molesting priest as, you know, the center of the hook here. <laughs> 
because that's all they could come up with. Right. And, and that's, that seems to me one of the real problems is that, is that the, the black and whiteness, the, 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 the strict borders between good and bad and mm -hmm. that bad people are always bad and good people are, are tend to be really good. And if they have a lapse, it can be repaired when bad people are bad, they're just bad and they should be punished. And, um, and, and the violence is, you know, and when people complain to me about, well, there's so much gratuitous violence, you know, we have movies like John Wick, one, two, three, seven, whatever it is. Right. And they're so gratuitous. I think, yeah, that doesn't bother me. I mean, maybe because I don't watch that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't bother. What bothers me um, are shows like The Affair mm -hmm. um, or, or, you know, because I, I think what is racist and class, you know, offensive about it and is, is more subtle. And mm -hmm. it's all done in cute because nobody can really process complex narrative anymore at all. And, um, and, and maybe that's also why um, Better Call Saul is of some interest because the, the, the Jonathan Banks character is ambivalent. Right. right. Extremely so. Right. It doesn't feel like propaganda. I mean, the affair is propaganda disguised as something else. And Yeah. yeah I don't know. Like a lot of things. Okay. Well, we should take up um, um, uh, a longer discussion of, of actors at some point. Yes. Because I, I think it's interesting to examine what screen acting is. I mean, you and I have both directed a lot of plays and, and we know what the rehearsal process is for plays. Um, and film doesn't have that. And certainly Hollywood big budget film, you know, even medium budget film doesn't have that. Um, so actors, are, are being cast according, have they played this part before? Mm -hmm. right. um, and, and yeah, you have do it again. <laughs> Except right. this time exactly. you're in Chicago PD instead yeah. of, you know, yeah. Hawaii Five. Well, I've told um, this, I've told this story before, but my wife, who's an act actress that works a fair amount, um, and uh, she's of uh, half Pakistani descent. And so she's, naturally has been cast as a lot of uh, Arab or Middle Eastern characters. And she's literally said the same lines on various shows. You know, my son is not a terrorist. She said that a number of different shows. And <laughs> one, one HBO show I will remain nameless. She's shooting a scene in uh, Santa Clarita, California. They have a place called Blue Cloud Ranch, which it's sort of, they call Little Arabia because it's set up to film stuff that's set in the Middle East. And the choreography in this shit is she's on the ground, American soldiers have their guns pointed at her and you know, there's smoke, bombs have gone off and you know, she has a couple lines. Cut to, you know, I don't know, five or six years later, she's on a completely different show, same location, same choreography, different show, lying on the ground, American soldiers have their gun pointed at her. And uh, during one of the takes, after one of the takes, one of the, one of the actors playing the American soldiers says, uh, looks at her on the ground and says, Anna. And she looks up, it's the same actor that played an American soldier in a different show years ago. And the director, the director comes up and says, oh, you guys know each other? And my wife says, yeah, we did this together. So it's, you know, it's, again, it's the lack of imagination. It's the cues. It's the you know, style codes and things that people are familiar with. Literally right. repeated different shows, different networks. So. Yeah. Well, I'm going to end. That's a great place to end. And my final 
my final comment will be that, you know, amidst all of this Corona stuff, what has, mm -hmm. what is breathtaking to me, because this just came up with, with Trump cutting funding to WHO. Right. Um, and now Bill Gates is the primary funder. And, and people so hate Trump <clears throat> that they would like more Americans to die so that it can be blamed on him. Mm -hmm. Um, and they would rather stay in house arrest for a while longer, maybe indefinitely, as long as he will be blamed for it. Mm. And they're enjoying what I, my takeaway is they are enjoying in a, I think, pathological way, um, being able to hate, being given permission to hate someone totally. Mm. Um, and that they're, they're, there's no... In their moral calculus there's no repercussions for hoping other strangers die as long as they can fulfill their hate of trump now i mention that because i'm i suspect there's some element there that connects to dexter and you and mm. all of these these shows about psychopaths and um excessive you know carnage that you root for somehow interesting right permit but, permit permission to have murderous feelings something like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right well thanks man let's do another thank you one. john absolutely man this is a this blast is really fun and i'm gonna thank jack Littman as always for helping with the technical part of this and aesthetic resistance our little group including chris and Guy Zimmerman, who's been on the show, and others. Um, uh, we are creating a number of um, short 15-minute radio dramas that are, I suppose, actually podcast dramas, um, which will be up on the Aesthetic Resistance website probably um, in a few weeks. But there will be more podcasts coming. So thanks, all of you. Thank you, Chris, very much. And um, we'll talk soon. Thank you, John. Talk soon, man.